Welcome to the Colts' is King podcast. I'm your host, The Duke, here with my co-host, Rambling Bones. Hello again. And uh, we're sorry we've been away for so long, but we have a special treat for you here. We're ending off the request month, well, our request series, I should say, with Lake Placid from 1999. But first, what do we do here, Bones? Well, we talk about cult movies, those movies that didn't really hit the mainstream or have been forgotten about, but have amassed a nice little following. You've got to share these with your friends and grow the cult. That's right. Just like you should, you know, maybe consider hitting like and subscribe to grow our cult. (laughs) (laughs) Hitting the shill section early. Well, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yes, but uh, again, sorry that we didn't complete the request episodes in the request month. Uh, There were some uh, medical issues, but... We're here. Minor medical issues. Minor, we should add. minor. Me- yeah, no one was dying. Is just, you know, you know how it is. But it was your pick, Duke, and you picked Lake Placid. So I did. So this one's a little better known than some of the other movies we've mentioned on this channel, but it's still kind of in that cult space. Uh, so this is a Gator movie. Um, Not a lot of Gator movies. Yeah. I, I'm thinking, like, off the top of my head, you have, like, what, Lake Placid and Croczilla, yeah. which we should also well, cover. I mean, you've got a bunch of uh, other Lake Placid movies. Well, and, that is quite the series. Yeah, you got anything that has appeared on sci-fi, but I mean, like, an actual studio gator movie. Right. And I, uh, I guess I'll get into the synopsis here, and then we'll give our thoughts on it. Yeah. Okay, so, our kind of uh, central figure of the movie is at least at the beginning, is Kelly Scott. And she is a paleontologist who works at a museum. And she's having some trouble because uh, her boss slash co-worker slash boyfriend dumped her and is uh, involved with her best friend who also works at the museum. So when there is a deadly animal attack in Maine and a tooth is brought back, uh, she is asked to go and take a look at it, and they send her all the way over there to get rid of her, essentially. So that's where we meet the rest of our cast. There is uh, our fish and game specialist, played by Bill Pullman, Jack Wells, and our uh, somewhat cantankerous sheriff, Hank. Uh, And they go and uh, investigate things. At some point, an old flame of Kelly's slash uh, certifiable crazy guy, Hector Sear, uh, show up, and they later find uh, and are attacked by a humongous gator living in the lake. Later, they find that uh, a crazy old woman has been feeding this gator for years here, and they eventually manage to trap this 30-foot monstrosity uh, after many people get eaten, and that is Lake Placid. Yeah, uh, real quickly, before I give my opinions, I just want everyone to know I'm pretty sure that the monster is actually a crocodile. Uh, I know we've both said gator already on this episode. Uh, we're probably going to say gator again or, or crocodile. We'll probably use both words interchangeably. Uh, sorry if you are really... Uh, uh, into taxonomy. Into taxonomy. It's a big lizard with uh, big sharp teeth and eats people. It's going to happen. Practically the same animal. On to my opinion. <laughs> now you're just picking enemies. <laughs> uh, as for my opinion, I'll say that I don't think I enjoyed this as much as the first time I saw it. I did not enjoy it. But I think I've seen better from around the same time. Because, like, in this 90s 
era, we started seeing a bunch of like creature features again. And I think of the creature features, this one is sort of in the middle of the pack. It's got stuff I like and there's stuff I don't like. I think the first thing that really stands out to me is the characters are all kind of unlikable. Like, they're all jerks. Yeah, sort of. Our character Kelly does get better. They all get better. I'll, I'll say that. They, they all get better. You don't ever hate them or want them to die. But for me, the character of uh, Sheriff Hank, who is played by Brendan Gleeson, he, he's crotchety, but I understand why he's crotchety, because he's surrounded by, like, crazy people crazy people and, and jerks everyone else is like there's sort of like a, a quick-witted dialogue to this movie but when everyone is like the jerk character it's just it's, it's hard for me to be as invested when it's like man poor sheriff hank he has to deal with all these people <laughs> well I actually i was very invested uh with sheriff hank because i'm like oh man this is the kind of guy they're gonna kill off but they shouldn't kill him off he's my favorite character yeah, I was surprised. Um, I, as always, guys, uh, spoilers. None of the characters who you, like, none of the big four die, which I was really surprised because I, I thought either Hank or Hector, who is played by Oliver Platt, like, both of them are, like, the perfect setup for this character's going to die, but none of them die, and that, I think, that's actually a positive for the film. Especially since, you know, I know, like you said, a lot of the characters do get better. They do have some mini arcs kind of that go on. Not necessarily huge arcs, but you like all the characters at the end, I think, more than you may have liked them going straight in. Yeah. Uh, and a good example of this is Kelly. She goes in kind of with like a chip on her shoulder, like, oh, you're talking down to me because I'm a woman while she, you know, proceeds to then talk down to everybody that she meets because they're from Maine, I guess, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially the poor uh, sheriff. And then uh, our boy Hector is just a complete nut job who sees uh, crocodiles as divine and wants to swim with them and just completely inserting himself where he is not in the least bit wanted. I, I think uh, the best part of the movie is Hector and Hank's relationship as they go from wanting to murder each other to uh, at least being kind of friends at the end. Yeah, it, you know, at the end, you or even a little bit before that, you get the fact that despite, like, how antagonistic they are towards each other, there also there's just scenes where they're just kind of hanging out. <laughs> yeah. So, which, you know, that's, that's a very real dynamic I've seen. So, you know, I believe it. I think Jack probably has the least amount of a character. He's just sort of himself- for yeah. the movie. Well, he's a lot like, I don't know, there's this thing that like Bill Pullman has where he just seems kind of likable despite never doing anything, you know? It's like, you just feel like, oh, hey, it's Bill. I've seen stuff with him in it and I thought he was a good actor, but ultimately he is sort of like playing Bill Pullman in every movie <laughs> just a little bit. Which, if that is the case, he seems like he's just a likable dude who you'd want to hang out with. It's, it's the difference between in this movie kind of jerk Bill Pullman versus Independence Day where you get presidential Bill Pullman. <laughs> I didn't think he was a super big jerk in this movie necessarily. Uh, though he should have backed his boy Hank up more. Yeah. He's he's a little bit of a smart aleck. Just a little bit. I don't know. He 
He just likes to be a little clever sometimes in his insults. <laughs> How about that? Uh, you know what, though? You know, like I said, I, I can see why for you this might have been a bit of a turnoff, at least in the first half or quarter. But, you know, I kind of liked, I thought it was fun kind of seeing, like, these dysfunctional personalities trying to work together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, also to keep things interesting, there's plenty of, you know, monster shenanigans in the way through. You don't see the monster until much later in the movie than I would have expected. But that doesn't mean its presence isn't felt throughout the movie. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, with the characters again, I do like that everyone does have a character, and everyone does stand out and is memorable to some extent. Right, um, especially in some of these creature features that you yeah. get. Uh, all the characters are, like, kind of interchangeable. Well, well yeah, because especially because in most of these types of movies you have to have some sort of body count. So the writer's not going to put all this effort in this character who has just been created to die, typically. Right. Well, and don't worry, though. Our friend the croc does eat plenty of people. Yes. You know, that's another character who lives. The crocodile makes it yes. all the way through the movie. And they kind of tease it. Part of, like, there's, like, a time limit at the end because I can't remember who's coming. It's like... I might have been like fish and wildlife. It was right, so... but it's like the big wigs yeah. over him, and they know that if they get here, this thing is being put down. But it's also like the largest crocodile ever, and it's uh, a it's a miracle of nature. And Hector really wants it to not just be put down, and him and Kelly are sort of able to convince the others. Let's make an effort to not right. completely kill it, and. There's a crazy scene that ensues, but in short, they manage to trap it because he like it like jumps through like the helicopter that Hector has later that he arrives in, and gets stuck in the helicopter, and they manage to trank it. Yeah, the the helicopter crashes in into the water at one point. the The crocodile doesn't leap out of the water and get into the. It, <laughs> that would have been cool. Though. That, that would have been cool. Would have been stupid, but it would have been cool. No, the, it's on the water, and Hector happens to be on the wreckage in the water and so that he the crocodile trying to get to hector gets lodged in the middle of it and they uh they pump it full of drugs however there's like a baby crocodile that does get blown up right and it's so weird how they did it because right after that scene where they're like oh we finally trapped it you know and you're waiting to see if it's going to twitch or do something again Another one comes out of nowhere, but he immediately gets destroyed by the sheriff's, like, giant gun. The sheriff has what I could only describe as a grenade launcher. They had a name for it, but I'm looking at it. This is just a grenade launcher, and he he doesn't blow up the actual crocodile. He blows up this random surprise crocodile, the, the jump scare crocodile. I know this does set itself up for its sequels, though, because uh, and it kind of explains that because at the very end of this, uh, you see Mrs. Bickerman, uh, the crazy old lady I mentioned before, and she's sitting on a pier and she's feeding a bunch of little crocodiles. Yeah, Betty White, who plays Mrs. Bickerman, she is somewhere between a sweet old lady and a foul mouthed old lady. She keeps like she kind of swaps between the two. Yeah, she's. Very much on the side of Team Crocodile, and literally her husband was eaten by the crocodile, and she didn't report it because it was an accident. <laughs> right. She later tell she uh, initially tells uh, the crew that her 
husband was in constant pain, so she killed him with a frying uh, pan. With a frying pan and buried him out there, and they later discovered you no, know, a gator got him. That might have been the most unbelievable part of this movie is somebody confessing to a murder to cops and not being immediately <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, no, and she's one of the funnier parts of the movie, uh, especially since you know. I know it wasn't, She's only, it's only the last few years in which, like, Betty White actually passed away, but I know, like, before that, like, everybody loved Betty White. She's, like, the ultimate old woman character, you know? It's kind of strange. Like, I, I looked up what else Betty White did, and the, the, the biggest thing that I saw that she did was, like, Golden Girls. I actually asked about this. I was asking around because I couldn't rem- I know that Betty White, for my entire life, has been famous, Right. But, but why? Like, well, that's the thing, right? Because you only remember old Betty White. But uh, one of her uh, bigger roles that before the Golden Girls was she was in the Mary Tyler Moore show uh, as a regular character. And just a little piece of trivia for you. She was actually the first woman to produce a sitcom, uh, Life with Elizabeth. Well, I didn't know that. And I admittedly I have not heard of Life with Elizabeth, but I'm going to guess that one's pretty old. Right, and I I know that she had lots of work before that, but nothing that stood out to me. Now, that doesn't mean there was nothing else that was notable, especially since, you know, I'm going to guess in her early movies, she probably wasn't, you know, involved with giant gators or crocodiles. For me, my my sort of theory was looking at her resume, she's uh, constant in television, and people don't watch as much TV now as they used to. So maybe it's just a case of this is just a lady that I've seen all my life throughout just TV history. So now I just, you just know her. Yeah. Well, and I think most people today would know her from the Golden Girls because that was like ginormous. Well, I feel like most people would know her today for just being Betty White. Oh, that's true. To me, though, she'll always be the crazy lady from Lake Placid. Which is a pretty memorable role. <laughs> right. No, she kind of steals some of the scenes she's in. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, you want to take a, I think now might be a good moment to go through some of the cast and crew. We've mentioned yeah, most we, of them. Yeah, since we've, we've mentioned them. So I guess we, we should mention Bill Pullman, Jack. He was in Spaceballs. He was Lone Star in that. I mentioned Independence Day. He's in The Lost Highway. And Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yes, which... Is a movie I watched a lot as a kid, but I really don't remember anything about it. He's also in the like the American remake of The Grudge. That's true. I you know I have just recently watched that, and I completely spaced that he was in it. It's sort of a small like. I feel like it's very easy to not realize that he's in it. But those are just some of the quality things you can see Bill Pullman in. So Kelly is played by Bridget Fonda. Um, as far as movies that kind of fall into the cultish genre that she's been in, she was in a movie called Single White Female and in Frankenstein Unbound. She was also in Monkey Bone with Brendan Fraser. Uh, if you don't know what that is... Uh... There's a reason for it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know what that one is. Uh, I only just recently learned about it. And she's also in A Simple Plan, which is a uh, Sam Raimi film, and Army of Darkness. Now, I believe in Army of Darkness, it's like in the flashback sequence of things in his past. She's credited as Linda. I'd have to rewatch army of darkness to really tell you where she's in it in that movie but she is she has the credit she has the credit 
take it up with IMDb. So, uh, also in the movie is Hank, uh, played by Brendan Gleeson. Um, and he's in some notable films. He's in Braveheart and uh, 28 Days Later were the two that really stuck out to me. Well, he's also Mad-Eye Moody in all of the Harry, well, in all of the Harry Potter movies that feature Mad-Eye Moody. You know what? I was watching this and I'm like, he kind of looks like Mad-Eye Moody. I guess, how did I miss that? But I guess he more than looked like that, huh? Yeah, but he he's an actor who's, he's like a character actor, but everything, there wasn't a lot of cult movies in his uh, filmography as much there was just like, classics like important stuff so i he's just a good actor i think kind of surprised at how how many important films he was in hector is played by oliver platt and he has had a very strange career yeah he's also a case of somebody who is like in in both good movies and bad movies but uh he's in the bicentennial man beethoven uh, one of the adaptions of The Three Musketeers, and maybe the greatest movie of all time. I know we say that a lot, but no, this is the greatest movie of all time. The WCW-produced wrestling hit, Ready to Rumble. Really, just like the Mount Rushmore of movies, it's just Ready to Rumble, Ready to Rumble, Ready to Rumble. And the Giant Claw. And the Giant Claw. <laughs> uh, no, also, uh, one more notable film he was in that you guys might know is Flatliners, which also oh, might merit its own entry. I, I forgot he was even in Flatliners. No, and he was one of kind of the four main characters in that one, so... Yeah, that would have he would have been younger in that. Yeah, no, that was definitely one of his earlier role, roles. But, yeah, all, Oliver Platt shows up in, in interesting places... And then I think we've already done a good job of uh, running through uh, Mrs. Bickerman, Betty White. Yeah. Uh, also important, though, is our director, Steve Miner, who was actually in the film as a, an airplane pilot early in the movie uh, who takes um, Kelly. Kelly over to Maine. But uh, he's actually directed a lot of uh, films that would be right at home on this podcast, uh, including Friday the 13th, Parts 2 and 3, uh, H2O, the Halloween, uh, 20 years later and house. We're definitely going to talk about house probably in the next couple of months. We love that movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a horror comedy. It's really good. And uh, a movie I haven't seen, but aim to warlock. I think I've seen all of those movies and he's, I like his directing. David Kelly was the writer and do, when doing the research for this, uh, I, I had, have the dvd of lake placid and so i watching the special features uh, everyone seemed to make a big deal out of david kelly being the writer i'm not a david kelly expert and looking through his filmography i'm not sure if i can exactly tell you why it's a big deal he wrote this other than that he was uh, i believe the creator and uh one of the main writers for the doogie hauser show which I think in its time was popular. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know a lot about him. But uh, we did see a return of somebody we've mentioned before. The real star of the show, of course, being the gator. Uh, or the croc, I should say. Uh, I've already switched back and forth several times now. And this was created by Stan Winston Studio. The interesting thing about that is they built the, the crocodile before they even had like the official... I guess, like, go ahead. Stan Winston spent, I believe, a million dollars of his own money 
without knowing whether he would get paid back for that. Though, from what I've heard, I think that might have ended up being part of the way they were able to get the movie greenlit so easily in the first place was the fact that they already had a 30-foot crocodile to star in it. The the crocodile, for me, is both one of the stronger and weaker parts because when it is the mechanical crocodile... It is. It looks fantastic. It no, looks great. It's definitely a credit to Stan Winston and Stan Winston Studios. This is definitely one of their better creations. But uh, this movie also uses a lot of CGI. And it's early CGI. And it's not bad CGI, especially for the time, but it's very obviously CGI. And when you have this mechanical crocodile that looks so good, I wonder if they couldn't have maybe used it in a few more scenes or maybe shot things in a few different ways to uh, keep the mechanical crocodile in it more. Which, it's really a, it's really a pity. This is another thing that you're not going to be able to see again, save through this movie, because, and that was just for the sheer purpose of how do you save a 30-foot crocodile? <laughs> Did you get a <laughs> warehouse for it alone? Yeah. Uh, though it is immortalized in this film, uh, and if you're interested more, uh, one thing I like about Stan Winston uh, Studios, we actually covered some work they did before uh, when we reviewed Monster Squad. But uh, you can find a lot of stuff about the making of the movies that they participated in on their website, and you can see like uh, pictures of them working on it and working with it. Yeah. It's and... actually amazing that things went as well as they did because... Any special effects or anything that's meant to be underwater, uh, it really takes a toll on whatever it is that you're using for your props. So the fact that they uh, had so much luck with it's amazing. It's really, a, I mean, the fact that it is a 30-foot crocodile and they didn't, it's not like we just built a head and a tail and maybe like a torso and they aren't actually put together. They're like individual. The fact that it is the full crocodile is pretty interesting. Another thing that I thought was, I I didn't even notice it, which was probably why the effect was so good, was there's a part where they have a cow hanging from a helicopter because they're trying to use it as bait. And for all the far away shots, they did build a mechanical cow. If you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't notice that it was a mechanical cow. I'm not sure if you would like notice even if you were looking for it. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I only know it because you know it. it. It looked really good. Another interesting thing about the, the creation of this movie is they they did film on actual lakes. Yeah, like three different lakes. But the, the actual, a lot of the underwater stuff, the majority of the film, they built their own lake. Well, they built what I think they referred to it as a, a pool uh, or a, a tank, but with how big they're talking, it might as well have been like a large pond, just how massive it was. And it's it's crazy to think about them building this because not only, you know, are they digging up this large amount of earth and building a, a pond type thing over it. It is in Canada, and it was, I believe, in November, so it's extremely cold. But they also need it to be a forest, and they need it to be a living forest. So they, instead of having fake plastic trees, like, it's 
all of this like underwater plant life and outside plant life is stuff that is real and they planted. <laughs> they just had to build an ecosystem for the movie. They just built an ecosystem and it's really I mean it's it's impressive. They're I I just assumed going in that they filmed everything on location at one of these three lakes and honestly part of me I understand for any of the underwater stuff and and maybe for some of the more uh, important on the water effects type thing having a tank but in my head expense wise part of me's thinking it might have been smarter to just done everything on location than just than building the tank well and you might have been right but they probably didn't feel too bad about it because uh, I looked it up this the budget was somewhere between like twenty seven to thirty five million, mm-hmm. I'd guess, on the higher side. But uh, it it did do a box office of fifty six point nine million dollars. So okay. not too shabby. They made their money back. They made their money back. But uh, of note, just listening to whenever they talk about the the tank, they would constant. They would. They had like a barge, also like on the water, and they would always refer to it as the godforsaken tank or the godforsaken barge because <laughs> you have like everybody's in the water constantly working and again it's in november in canada so everybody is freezing in the water hope they brought their thermal underwear yeah no it sounded like it was a little rough to shoot especially since the, there is a lot of time that they're all spending in the water like not even just the crew but like actors as well but Maybe to, like, the average audience, they wouldn't notice, but all of the underwater shots I instantly knew were a tank. Like... Uh, as somebody who's not you, uh, uh, as somebody who can stand in for probably the rest of the audience, I did not. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just the fact that I, I've seen what even a just a dirty creek looks like versus... I, I, th- I think there just wasn't enough happening in, in the tank. Because the crocodile scared everything away. Of course, yeah. But for... You gotta think about these things, Bones. Yeah, yeah. It's my bad. <laughs> I do like... That does remind me of another crazy scene where Hector and the sheriff are getting into it as usual. And out of nowhere runs this giant bear... And at first I thought the bear was being chased, but no, he just starts picking a fight. And then, of course, can you guess what happens to the bear? The bear gets eaten. bear gets eaten by the giant crocodile. But the scene is so out of nowhere. But I, I really enjoyed that. But sorry, that made me think well, of that. Well, actually, that's another notable thing because part of that scene does use a real bear. But when the crocodile comes out and eats it, uh, of course, it goes to CGI. But to tell you how good the crocodile was, they brought out a trained bear and it saw the real crocodile it wanted nothing to do with it. Like, <laughs> it was terrified of the giant crocodile puppet. So they they actually had to shoot it differently and have less of the me- have no mechanical crocodile in it. Well, that just goes to show you. I guess we weren't the only people who thought it was uh, convincing. Another. This was just a small effect, but uh, one that I liked because at the time i didn't even think anything about it but there are several parts where the fish are frenzied at like the top of the water and they aren't real fish it's i think they have like some sort of like fountain system 
like just beneath the water, making it look like there's a bunch of stuff flopping around. But I mean, watching the movie, I, I mean, I guess in my head, it's like, well, of course they aren't real fish there, but it looks really good. Yeah, I'd say with the special effects, the only thing that doesn't look really good is the parts where we have the CGI crocodile. Yeah. Um, and they're it's serviceable. You know, I've seen a lot worse, and I'd essentially say for its time, it's fantastic. But it never looks as good as the mechanical one. No. But everything else in the movie is incredibly convincing. I know we constantly always complain about CGI. Somebody else who complained about CGI was the editor of the movie. I I don't remember his name, but I remember distinctly on the special features, he was very pleased that since CGI wasn't as fully fleshed out as it is now, they did have the mechanical crocodile for a lot of it. And it of the stuff, it aged the best. Definitely. It's, it's amazing how a lot of these practical effects have aged just so incredibly well. Yeah. One thing just sort of thinking about the fact that there are Lake Placid sequels, it's it's kind of funny if you think about it. The, the, the CGI crocodile never changed its appearance because Sci-Fi Channel has been using the same 90s CGI. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really bizarre watching a, like a, a, a movie from the 90s that was made by a studio and seeing, all right, this is what top-tier CGI is. And then anything on the sci-fi channel made now, and it is exactly the same. Well, Lord, I remember growing up with just the sci-fi original movies, which you got to give them this because they were so low budget, they could make whatever movies they wanted. So you got some crazy stuff, but like the telltale sign that you were watching a sci-fi original was just the sheer, uh, video game graphicness of the, <laughs> the uh, monsters, to put it nicely, I suppose. Yeah. And every single one of the movie was based around some sort of monster. The fact that some of them are looking like uh, stock assets, it's... There's some special things out there. We watched them, though. Oh, no, we <laughs> watched know? a lot. So, I know I mentioned uh, creature features, and that, for me, this, this wasn't maybe the best but it also wasn't the worst how, how did this movie stand for you as far as a, a creature feature i would say actually it's in the upper half for me pretty mm-hmm. comfortably i mean it's not jaws most movies aren't jaws right yeah but uh considering that i was entertained by the character interactions the whole time the mechanical crocodile was really fun this is like the ultimate just very watchable popcorn movie which is what you want out of a good creature feature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also pretty memorable. I, I'd easily put it in the top half. I would say top half, but still maybe lower on the top half for me. Right. It's not necessarily in my like top three, yeah. but you know, it might even have the four spot, which may not sound super thing, but when you consider the sheer amount of creature features, uh, the kind of people who would run a cult films podcast must have seen, that's not bad. I did just to sort of give people an idea of the, the types of movies that were coming out in the 90s. I wanted to read you off. So there were a lot that came out in the 90s that had, like, creatures. So, like, uh, Tremors was 90. 
which for me that's maybe like it's it's not like real life animal creature feature but it's you know it's the same as far as like monster movies from the time that one's that one's definitely in the top three that's great but like tremors came out at the start and then in like 97 we had anaconda the relic uh mimic also came out that year um and then in 99 we got deep blue sea uh king cobra which is at the bottom of the list (laughs) (laughs) deep blue sea is not too bad though deep deep blue sea is fun and and then Lake Placid also in '99. Well, you see, I would put Lake Placid above all of those except Tremors, in my personal opinion. Ah, uh, Anaconda was a mess. Anaconda was a mess. I, I'm thinking more like I I think the Relic is fantastic. Um, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not sure I have seen that one. I've seen all of the others on that list. What was the Relic? The Relic, and we'll probably talk about it eventually. Uh, there is a pretty much a monster that is shipped over to a museum and it's it's running loose in the in this museum and eating people okay i have not seen the relic so i look i still might think lake Plast is better i haven't decided yet you know i gotta go watch it so we'll put a bookend here like yes. come back to come back eventually <laughs> Come back to, we'll, we'll do the relic like two years later and I'll be like, oh, Lake Placid was better. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, while you said this wasn't your favorite creature feature, I think it's safe to say we both would recommend this one. Yeah, no, I I would recommend this. I, I did enjoy it. I like, I was about to say I like all the actors. I don't really know much about Bridget Fonda. I, I haven't seen much of her stuff, to be honest. But, and I think in this movie she's good. Yeah, she's, but, I think everybody's convincing. And I said a lot of the character interactions in this one are fun. Um, I think it stands out from a lot of the other creature features, and I think you should watch it. Uh, I can't imagine you not having a good time. This is the perfect lazy Saturday or Sunday afternoon movie. If you, you know, don't got much going on, you could put Lake Placid on and have a good time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So that means we're passing the ball back to you. So we are beginning... Uh, our series, we're going back to just picking what we're interested in for a little bit. And how would you like to begin the uh, Yuletide season? Well, we might not do a Christmas-themed movie all month, but I figured since we are going to, you know, start this month off, uh, might as well, we're going to do the, I think it came out, I don't know when it came out, I think 2000s, probably correct, uh, the, the Bill goldberg classic santa's sleigh you had me at bill goldberg (laughs) talking about wcw baby so yeah santa's sleigh uh i don't know where you would watch it but you should definitely check it out by uh, i tell you what by the episode we will have located wherever you can watch this because we're looking out for you and we'll we'll let you know because it's a doozy well i tell you what i already did a little shilling so I'm not going to do any more. So, so it's my turn to shill. Oh, you want to do a little shilling well, for us? Yeah, I, I, at least tell them where we can be found. Thank you for listening, of course, as always. And if you'd like to listen to us on other places, apart from YouTube being our main hub, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and CastBox. <laughs> Some of our stuff is on Odyssey. But uh, as I said last time, Odyssey is in a weird place right now. So uh, that might be switching to Rumble 
uh, once I get off my lazy butt and wow, way to rub salt in the wound. Odyssey's having all these issues, and now you're going to take away their hit podcast. I I, <laughs> I I see a sinking ship, and I say it's time to get in the lifeboat ASAP. <laughs> but uh, yes, again, thank you for listening. Uh, please, if if you will, hit the like and subscribe button if you enjoyed this content, and uh, leave a comment. Uh, if you like monster movies or creature features uh tell us what your favorite one is oh you're gonna I, this is the part where you know you, where i give them homework yeah i was yeah. about to say if you don't know any creature features you can google it and pretend like you do you know what though <laughs> i would be interested uh if you guys are the kind of people who watch creature features where does this one rank for you i'd be interested in knowing that actually or even just if you've seen this movie before like i'm curious what the the outside opinion on Lake Placid. On Lake yeah. Placid is. Because I guess we didn't really talk about critical reception too much. Um, I'll just say real quickly, this movie didn't do so well. Uh, I mean, it made its money back, but it, it wasn't uh, a big deal when it came out. But since then, it's found an audience. So I'd like to know what that audience thinks if it exists. Okay. Well, with nothing further to do, here's the Duke telling you to keep it cold. And goodbye.